The WBEN All Local. All Local. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazurowski. Just weeks away from the start of school, and the Maryvale District in Chictawaga is preparing to enroll 66 migrant students between pre-K and 12th grade who come from families seeking asylum. The district making sure they have enough English as a new language teachers. The district has received no communication from the state or New York City about reimbursement for unanticipated costs. Superintendent Joe D'Angelo told Channel 7. The first concern as an educator is uh, taking care of the children. Uh, but I'm also um, accountable to the taxpayers, and I take that very seriously. And, you know, these are unanticipated costs that we didn't budget for. It's unclear how many other migrant students will be enrolling in other districts in western New York this year. The death toll from Maui's wildfires keeps going up. Officials now saying at least 106 people were killed, and that number is expected to rise. Hundreds of people remain unaccounted for in the area more than a week after the wildfires erupted. Members with FEMA Search and Rescue Task Force stressing that the process will take time. President Biden says he will visit Lahaina soon, sending this message. But not just our prayers. Every asset, every asset they need will be there for them. Aid will also arrive from what might seem like an unlikely place, Austin, Minnesota, home of Hormel Foods, the makers of Spam. Hormel partnered with a nonprofit to deliver water supplies and, of course, cans of Spam. Hawaii consumes roughly 8 million cans per year, more than any other state. Well, investors who want to redevelop Lahaina already allegedly interested in buying land, and the state's governor saying, no way. Alex Stone is there. With reports that predatory real estate developers are already trying to buy land in Lahaina, Governor Josh Green says he will make sure the land is protected for the Hawaiian people and not gobbled up by investors on the mainland or elsewhere in the world. You can be sure I will not be allowing anyone to build or rezone or do anything of that sort if they've taken advantage of anyone here. He says there are already talks to create a memorial and to make sure that Hawaiian residents rebuild Lahaina the way they want. Alex Stone, ABC News, Maui. All right, we'll be checking in a little bit later on this morning with Alex Stone in Maui. Back at home, in response to last year's deadly blizzard, the Erie County Executive outlined changes to be implemented to hopefully avoid another future tragedy. Among them, working with local snowmobile clubs to utilize their equipment. WBEN's Tom Puckett tells us what, if any, progress has been made on that front. Erie County Executive Mark Polencar says he wants to develop a memorandum of understanding with snowmobile clubs for access to tracked trail groomer vehicles in the event of another major snowstorm. Brent Marshall of the Hamburg Snowmobile Club says there have been some discussions. We have had a meeting about this with a couple of the clubs and uh, we were supposed to hear something back from Mark as far as what we were going to do in the event of another blizzard and our machines being utilized as far as uh, where they'd be needed. We really haven't reached an agreement, I guess if you would say, or we haven't really talked to them. Marshall says organization with a central leader is what he envisions. Somebody that's in charge of this right up front that would say, hey, this is the command post. We're going to activate Hammer Snow Club. We're going to activate maybe Southern Tier. Or we're going to activate Northern Area Snow Seekers, whatever it may be. And then we have a direct command post with them that tells us Okay, we want to go here, here, and here and deal directly with one person. When would he like to meet with Poland Cars? Find out online. 
Tom Puckett, WBEN.com News. Okay, just one of many different suggestions there, but local snowmobile clubs reacting to what they heard this week from the county executive. New details on the special counsel's probe into former President Trump's Twitter account. Lionel Moise reports. Newly unsealed court transcripts reveal special counsel Jack Smith sought direct messages from former President Donald Trump's Twitter account, and there was some volume of direct messages sent by Trump's Twitter account that prosecutors were seeking to obtain. The transcripts cite public communications but do not reveal any private communications. Prosecutors were seeking a vast amount of data, including the content of all DMs sent, received, or in draft form, all tweets created and drafted, and devices used to log in or access Trump's Twitter. Lionel Moyes, ABC News, New York. Now, prosecutors also wanted to obtain IP addresses used to create, log in, or use the account, any privacy settings and communications with Twitter, and any person regarding Trump's account. Construction of the new Bill Stadium getting all the attention, but the current Highmark Stadium is still being put to use, and there are already being a major concert announcement for the upcoming spring. WBEN's Max Ferry here with more on how country music will take over Orchard Park. With the recent announcement of country music star Luke Combs performing two consecutive shows at Highmark Stadium in April, excitement is quickly percolating amongst Western New York's country music fans eager to get their hands on tickets. It's huge. You can't get much bigger than Luke Combs right now. And the fact that he's coming to Highmark not once but twice shows the demand. We're going to be pulling in a lot of people from around the area. But, oh, yeah, I was getting texts from friends going, okay, when are you guys giving tickets away? So super excited. It's going to be two just fantastic nights. Liz Mantel, morning show host of 104.7 The Wolf. You can say it's unprecedented to see any pop or country star sell out Highmark Stadium on consecutive nights, let alone in the month of April. But Mantel predicts that's exactly what's going to happen, as country music fans are already waiting in a queue just for the opportunity to acquire pre-sale tickets. Longtime concert promoter Don Tomasulo says he's never seen consecutive day stadium sellouts, let alone for one Highmark Stadium sellout night in the month of April. But there are some factors that could change that. Country radio has been so supportive. It's the best new music that's out there. There's no new rock and roll hardly. There's alternative bands, there's dance bands, but as the world changes, I mean, all like the Luke Combs of the world to me are just rock and roll acts playing under country. You know, the top country acts are great rock and roll performers. They all sound unique, uh, just like the old rock and roll acts used to. It's always amazing to me who catches on and who catches fire and who people will really go to see. I think the new country acts are, are great, and that's why people are flocking to see them. Mantel also mentions that a lot of new country music artists have influences that draw on more than one genre of music. You can hear the full thoughts and remarks at WBEN.com. Max Ferry, WBEN.com News. Impressive. Yeah. I mean, you'll say that to a book in April. Back-to-back right. shows. I was blown away stadium. by that announcement yesterday. I had assumed that it had never been done, but then I looked back and the Jacksons did it back in the '80s, back-to-back, and they did a whole bunch of different stadiums around the country, over and over again. And then you got Taylor Swift doing it now, and yeah. uh, Luke Combs trying the same here in Western New York. And as for as much talk as the new stadium gets, here you go. We're still using the old one. In April for big concerts right. uh, being put to use there. Well, broadcast and cable viewing just fell to an all-time low. Streaming hitting a record high. Broadcast television and cable TV combined have never dropped below 50% of what people watch on their TVs until now. 
Nielsen says in July, cable viewing was down 12.5% from last year, broadcast TV down 5.4%. Combined, they made up 49.6% of TV viewing, while streaming soared to 38.7%, and other stuff like video games made up the difference. And ironically, it was a cable TV show that helped lead streaming to the record number. I close situations. Suits, a former USA Network series, made its debut on Netflix and Peacock, and viewers consumed almost 18 billion viewing minutes. Jason Athenson, ABC News, Hollywood. I'm watching that right now. <laughs> so uh, it's you've got the streaming above broadcast and cable for the first time in a long time. It's not a surprise, is it? I, it's not a surprise, but you know, to the point right there, I mean, how much of what you're watching is a broadcast TV, just not on traditional TV? You're watching it on some other right. platform or right. some different app, or maybe it could even be the broadcast channel's app. Right? Uh, in a lot of cases, That's Peacock That's or considered Paramount streaming. or yeah. all that stuff. It is kind of crazy. But broadcast cable just kind of slipping away, new way of going about listening or uh, watching your favorite things. Yeah, I think that's only that trend is only going to get bigger, too. Your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast. Becoming mostly sunny this afternoon with high temperatures in the upper 70s. Tonight, clear to partly cloudy with some patchy fog developing. Overnight lows in the low 60s. On Thursday, mostly sunny. Highs near 80. Showers and thunder showers return Thursday night. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. Joining us on the line right now, Dr. Myron Glick of Jericho Road Community Health Center in Buffalo. We're talking about migrants in the area and how Jericho Road is working with these people. Dr. Glick, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, recent stories have uh, definitely changed some opinions on this topic as a whole. There has been two violent crimes at a hotel where migrants are being housed right now. And I'm wondering from your perspective, how you have viewed these recent stories and what's going through your head when you see this in the news? I mean, first of all, I definitely feel horrible about the two incidents that happened. I mean, those two young women, um, that's a horrible thing and um, never like to see that at all. I think, though, that uh, we as a community never want to be... Um, you know, identified by a worst moment. And I would also say that, you know, I've been doing this work for over 27 years and I've literally met thousands and thousands of refugees and asylum seekers who've become our patients, become our friends. And the overwhelming um, community of these folks are good people who want to contribute and are contributing to our community. So I, I also don't think that we should be um, judging them by the actions of one or two people. Do you agree, though, with the decision to suspend the program here for now and halt new arrivals? So if you're talking about the program, you know, to take folks out of New York City in the middle of the night on buses and bring them here and put them in hotels, uh, yes, I, I think that is the right decision I support. Uh, the county executives um, in that decision. I do believe that Buffalo still needs to be a welcoming community to asylum seekers. I don't think, um, you know, I think there are ways to do that uh, in a model sort of pattern after the way we do refugee resettlement uh, that would work and that would uh, build up this community. So I think 
the idea of bringing folks to hotels in the, in the way it's been done the last couple months, that's, I think that's probably a failed model. But the idea of bringing asylum seekers and resettling them into this community is one that I think we as a, a community could em, should embrace. It's, it's right for the folks we're helping, but it also makes our community a better place long term. Uh, the county executive uh, made kind of reference to it being an unsafe situation for organizations to go in and help these migrants and help people who are coming to the area. How difficult is it? How, I guess, lacking for resources are we to deal with the, uh, I mean, very small slice of the problem, really, that we're seeing here in New York? We're talking only about uh, fewer than 600, it would seem, people uh, in western New York, you kind of broad scope that to how many people are in New York City. I mean, it is a small slice of the pie. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things to remember is like Jericho Road, we, we work with folks at our homeless shelter uh, called Vive. That's a different population of folks that are coming on their own as asylum seekers. They're not bust in. We also help some, we put overflow in various shelters and other parts of the, the community. And then we work as a subcontractor in these hotels to provide case management and try to do the best we can by these folks. So, I mean, it's, uh, it is a challenge because of lots of factors. The world is broken. Our immigration system, you know, policy is, is failed. The federal government isn't very helpful to to local communities, and then New York City is overwhelmed. And so I don't know that any of us can afford to just say no or to sort of like, you know, ignore what's happening across the world and how it's affecting, you know, our our nation and also how it's affecting our local communities. We we cannot necessarily turn our back on this. It's a problem that we all have to work together to try to solve. We keep hearing that the asylum seekers coming from New York City are vetted before they're brought here. What does that actually mean? Yeah, I I don't, I mean, you know, we work with a lot, we've worked with refugees for many, many years and the vetting process is, we know what that process is. It happens in the refugee camp. It happens in, a, in the country of origin. It happens when they get here. Like there's a process in place that's orderly and wor- has worked very well. Uh, it's not that way for the asylum seekers that are are crossing the border. Uh, there's a it's a pretty chaotic process, and I think we've learned um, over the last three months that the folks that are put on buses and are coming here are not. Um, really screened from health problems. They're not really screened in hardly any way. And uh, so, you know, you, you, you do have to sort of uh, focus on some different issues when, when you start to work with them here in, in Buffalo. So the, I would say the vetting process is pretty lacking. How do we change that? Is there a way to change that? Is the situation just too chaotic to really have a proper vetting process? I'm thinking of just, you know, a random person from whatever country. I mean, it could even be the U.S., right? Uh, Just a random person. How do you, showing up with no real documentation, how would you ever begin to really (laughs) know anything about them? I do think there is a model that would work uh, for the folks from New York City. I mean, clearly New York City is overwhelmed and their shelters are full. 
I think, you know, we, we actually are working on a model where it would be modeled after refugee resettlement programs. So a family in New York City would be vetted. They would then contact an organization like Jericho Road or one of our partners. We would have a chance to interview them. They would be ready for work, like the work papers would be ready. Their asylum case had been started. Now they come to Buffalo after we find the house for them and we give them help like we do the refugees for the first six to 12 months, and then they are self-sufficient. Like that's a model that could work. I think there would be much less chaos. It would build on the strengths of sort of the infrastructure that we have here in Buffalo. So I think we would like to see that happen. I'm not sure there's a way to, to, to continue the, you know, busing folks quickly out of New York City without enough of a process in place. I'm not sure that model really works, unfortunately. I mean, I wish it could work, but it's, it's very challenging. Dr. Glick, uh, DocGo of New York State has been overseeing the housing of migrants, and we understand that that has been pretty challenging. Are you working to help them improve this? Yeah, I mean, it has been a challenging situation, and um, there have been, you know, some frustrations, but we are subcontracted with them along with our refugee partners here in Buffalo and organizations. And we're constantly meeting and trying to to come up with a way that actually works and treats people well in those hotels. Our goal is to get folks out of those hotels and, you know, hopefully integrated in the community in a way that actually makes sense, you know, as compared to continuing this, this model. So, we're willing, we are trying to work with DACA and we are trying to make the situation better because we care about people and the humanity of these folks that are, you know, the, the, the people that are in these hotels. We do care about them. Dr. Glick, before we let you go, I want to ask you about something that's been in the news in the last 24 hours, and that is school, right? For kids who are in western New York right now, the Maryvale District in Cheektowaga said they're preparing for 66 extra students, uh, you know, between pre-K and 12th grade, senior year in high school, who are coming from migrant families seeking asylum here. But they really don't have that much information, communication from the state or New York City about uh, who might be coming, uh, what the status is, if there's going to be any reimbursement. Uh, What is being done about the school situation? And given everything we just said about it not being really uh, able to check for whether it's an immunization record or, or all these other things. What's the likelihood of kids being in a classroom this fall? I mean, I definitely hope we get the children in a classroom. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we want to take care of children well, wherever they are from, um, if they're here in our, our, our community. That, that just makes a lot of sense. We're working with the Department of Health and we're working with our other uh, community health center partners to make sure that these children uh, are seen by a family doctor uh, prior to going into school, that they're screened for tuberculosis and other, um, you know, diseases and that they get their shots. Uh, we're, we're, we're used to this. I mean, we have refugee families coming in all the time throughout the year and they see us first we we evaluate them and then we get them ready for school so and and these kids by and large are motivated they want to learn english and they're gonna 
they're going to be a blessing to the school district, not a not a problem. Ultimately, would be my guess. I had another question too. Um, the Best Western on Dingens is that still housing migrants? It is. I I understand that um, the intention is to to get the folks out. I have not heard a plan that that you know is is making that happen yet. But I think that is the the hope. That's the intention is to not continue to house um, asylum seekers at that at that hotel. Dr. Glick, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Dr. Myron Glick is with Jericho Road Community Health Center talking about migrant refugee concerns here in western New York. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning, produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.